Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. You would know immediately this is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, So we're just going to look at these little pieces here. Look at what Jesus says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is an example of Hebrew humor. Sometimes we don't think that Jesus had a sense of humor. I know he has a sense of humor because he called me to preach. Okay, so I know God has a sense of humor. But he does have a sense of humor. This is an illustration of Hebrew humor. Now, Hebrew humor is typically exaggeration to make a point. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see Jesus cracking jokes. You'll see Jesus using humor to make a point. This is one of those examples in the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he, I'm sure that as Jesus told this, that the disciples got a good chuckle. They were probably smiling. They, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and he'd say, imagine a guy walking around, and he's got a little sliver of, of sawdust in his eye. And a, another guy's over there trying to help him remove it. He's got a big old telephone pole sticking out of his eye. He, he said, this is how ludicrous, this is how silly it is. How can you actually get that out when you've got this own problem Here, coming out of your own eye, here's the truth. It is wrong to judge when it blinds me to my own faults. It's wrong to judge when it blinds me to my own faults. If judging you, listen, if judging you causes me to not look at myself realistically, it's wrong. And if you judging me causes you to not look at yourself realistically, it's wrong. But you know what? Especially in the Baptist church. We are great speck analyzers, aren't we? We can really analyze a speck in somebody else's eye. Uh, we, are, we are nitpicking at specks when the whole time we've got these problems, these logs in our own eyes. So that's the first time. Turn over to John chapter 7, verse 24. John chapter 7, verse 24. Just one, one word, one sentence. Jesus is speaking in this situation. Look at what he says. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Here's the truth. It is wrong to judge others based on outward appearance. We do it all the time. You know it. I know it. We judge, them, we judge it all the time. We look at them as individuals. We judge them by, by the tattoos they have, by the piercings they have. We judge them by the clothes they wear. We judge them by the color of their skin. We judge them by the way they're dressed. We judge them even by their hairdo. You know, we, we, we cast judgment on people. We do it all the time. And the Bible says, don't do it. We really make an impression. We get an impression of somebody within the first 15 seconds of meeting them. We've already got a judgment about them. Jesus said, that's wrong. Don't do that. The greatest example of this is found in, in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verse 7. It's a story when Samuel is sent out to find David to be the next king. And he goes to the, to, the, to the family of Jesse. And Jesse has seven other sons. 
And he goes, oh man, surely this is the one. Look at him, he's tall, he's good looking, he's athletic. This has got to be the one. Oh no, he's not the one. He goes to the next one and he goes all the way down the line. And Samuel says, but these guys are outstanding specimens. Look at them, they make me a great king. And God says, I want you to consider David. He said, David, he's the runt of the litter. He's not that smart. He's not that strong. He's not that powerful. Who would even consider David to be the next king? And then God said this to Samuel. Samuel, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the inside. I look at the heart. That's the point he's trying to make. We can't judge an individual by outward appearances. We've got to get to know them. We've got to get to know them and see who they are on the inside. Look over just a couple, a couple of verses to John 7, 50-51. These are the words of Nicodemus. Uh, you remember the story of Nicodemus. Look at what it says in verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who is one of their own number, he's talking about one of their Sanhedrin, he asks, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? And they were thinking about crucifying, arresting Jesus. He said, how can we do that until we first hear something from him? Here's the, it's a rhetorical question. Obviously, it's no. Our law does not allow us to do this. But here's the, here's the truth. It is wrong to judge when we don't know all the facts. It is wrong to judge when we don't know all the facts. If you study Scripture long enough and diligently enough, you will discover that if you make a judgment without getting the facts, you are wrong. You're wrong. And you should not do that. Matter of fact is, did you know there's more than one side to a story? Did you know that? Actually, did you know there's three sides to a story? There's your side, their side, and there's God's side. Three sides of the story. I think I'd rather be on God's side than on my side or their side. We have to understand that. What happens is we always make a judgment by partial truth. And when we do that, we're wrong because that's not the total truth. We've got to figure out what is the total truth and then make a decision based upon that. Turn over to Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Great passage of Scripture. As Paul is talking about God's righteous judgment. Look at what he says in Romans 2, verses 1 to 3. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Here's the truth. It is wrong to judge when I am practicing the same sin. It's wrong to judge when I'm practicing the same sin. We don't have the right to judge somebody when our whole life is involved in sin. We just can't do it. Uh, the classic example of this is the woman caught in adultery. You know the story. Jesus is there with his disciples. He's in the alleyway and he's talking to his disciples and there's a crowd around him, and also the religious leaders, and I've always loved this story, it says they, they bring a woman to Jesus, and the Bible says she was caught in the very act of adultery. How do you catch somebody in the very act of adultery unless you're walking them around and waiting for them to fall? They were springing a trap on her. 
They, they follow them around like they're, they're waiting outside the room, and when they hear some noise, they rush and say, oh, we caught you, we caught you. The whole story makes me sick. It's like uh, we go around waiting for people to make a mistake, and then we drag them before somebody. She's caught in the very act of adultery. They bring her before Jesus. They throw her down on the ground. And they say, Jesus, our law says that anybody caught in adultery, I don't know, where's the man? Where's the man? He was doing it too, right? Well, where's the man? Anyone caught in adultery, they deserve to be stoned. And Jesus doodles in the sand. I wish I knew what he doodled, you know? Because I'm a doodler too. But I wish I knew what he doodled. You know, it would be inspired, whatever it was. I want you to know. But he doodled in the sand. And he looks up, he said, Let you who is without sin cast the first stone. A hush comes on the crowd. Those that had stones began to drop them to the ground. And the crowd slowly dispersed until no one was left. And Jesus said, Woman, where are your accusers now? And she said, there are none, Lord. He goes, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Here's the interesting thing about that story. The only one who had a right to stone her was Jesus. And he chose not to. He chose not to. But how many times are we the first one to cast the stone? Are we the first one to throw the rock? And, and the challenge is for us is that we cannot judge when we're practicing the same sin. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Don't you like the way I kind of start? I'm just kind of walking you all the way through it. I'm not making you do the skip to do da method, you know. Uh, look at what he says in verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, to really understand this, you've got to understand the context. You've got to understand what's going on. I've already told you that, that a text without a context is a pretext. You've got to know what's going on but see what's happening in this verse. What was going on? Everywhere Paul went, people questioned his motives. Why is Paul doing this? Why is he saying this? Why is he behaving this way? They were always questioning his motives. And this leads us to the fifth truth. It is wrong to judge people's motives and ask why they do what they do. It's wrong to judge people's motives and ask why they do what they do. Notice what Paul says. Instead of casting judgment, he says, wait until the Lord comes. He says, wait until the Lord comes. He says, if you make a judgment now, it may be premature because you don't have all the information. You don't know what's going on. You see, nobody really knows what's in a person's heart. We just don't know. We can guess, we can speculate, but to cast judgment is to put ourselves in a position we do not belong. We can guess. But Paul says, when the Lord comes, He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of man's heart. Listen, my friends, I have a hard enough time trying to figure out what my motives are to sit there and figure out what your motives are. But here's where how I apply this to our situation. God has called me to be pastor of Western Heights Baptist Church. 
He's called me here to be the under-shepherd of Western Heights Baptist Church. I have a responsibility to lead this church the way that God has called me to lead it. Listen, folks, if I am wrong, then I will answer to God. Period. But get this, if I am right and the church decides to rebel against the leadership, guess what? Then you're wrong and you will be judged. I'd rather take that responsibility myself than throw it back on you. Why? Because God's called me. He called me to pastor this church. It's my responsibility. But see, this is what we get into. What's his ambition? What's his motives behind that? And we begin questioning. I remember hearing a story. I think I got time. Not nah, well, well, if we go over, that's okay. That's okay. You know, Paul one time preached and somebody fell out of the window. And then he got him up and he, Paul raised him from the dead. He said, now come up and listen some more. You obviously didn't get enough. So uh, uh, I read a story of, of a young, bachelor, a young uh, executive bachelor in Dallas who uh, the other, other executive was going to play a joke on him. Every Christmas, the, this boss would give a turkey. And the, the bachelor hated him. He, goes, I, he says, I'm a bachelor. I'm not going to cook turkeys. I don't want a turkey. He was offended by it. He said, you know, hey, give me the money. I'd rather have the money. But there it was. They gave, you know, give him the turkey. Came time for the turkeys. So his friends decided to play a joke on him. They took his turkey. They chopped it up, and they made a paper mache turkey instead. And made it, you know, have, and the only thing that existed was the, the neck and the tail feathers that were sticking out. This was several years ago. And so they, 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 it was all wrapped up in newspaper. So here he took his, okay, he took his turkey and he boarded a streetcar to go home. And while he's on the streetcar, a man sat down next to him. And obviously the turkey became a source of conversation amongst them. And so they were talking about it. And he eventually learned that this man had just lost his job he had, and he was out of, out of work. And he was going home to an empty house. But he stopped by the store and he bought some hamburger meat. And the hamburger meat was going to be the Thanksgiving meal for his entire family. So the young executive said, why don't we trade? You know, he didn't know. He said, why don't we trade? I'll give you my turkey and I'll take your hamburger meat and I'll go home. And so the guy was ecstatic. So he takes the turkey and he goes home. And, and you can imagine the anticipation of the children and the wife as they gather around the table to look at that. And he opens it up. When the man heard what his friends had did, he searched all over the city for the man that he had defrauded out of, a tur out of hamburger meat, but he couldn't find him. Now I'm sure to this day, that remains a story of how that man defrauded another individual. But in the mind of that young executive, he said, my heart was pure. My heart was right. You see, you can't always make a decision. By, you can't judge a person's motives. You don't know what's going on in that situation. So it's difficult to make a decision. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. This is the sixth time. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 says this, Therefore, I don't have time to tell you what it's there for, but go back and look. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Here's the truth real quick. It is wrong to judge based upon external practices. 
It is wrong to judge based upon external practices. You cannot tell a person's walk with God by the external practices he engages in. Specifically, what he eats, what he drinks, if he worships on Sunday or he worships on Saturday. You just can't do it. If you do, you're missing the point. The, the greatest illustration of this is found in Romans chapter 14. Uh, First Baptist Church of Rome was having some problems in, in the church. There's a lot of people in the church that were judging people by externals, things they were doing outside that. And basically they're saying, well, you can't be a Christian if you're doing that. You can't really be a follower of Jesus if you were doing that. That's what they were saying. They were basing it upon external practices. And so they were fighting. And, and the Bible says there's three things that people fought over in those times. You know what they were? Drink, diet, and days. Drink, diet, and days. What you drink, what you eat, and where you worship or when you worship. Paul countered that in Romans 14 verse 1. He says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. He said, there's some things, that, can I just give you the modern day paraphrase? Accept him whose faith is weak. There's a lot of things that don't matter he'll beans. Don't make a big deal over something that's irrelevant. Why is it so important? To me, it goes back to the gospel. But why is it so important? Because in, in our effort, to, in, our, in our judging of people for external practices, we may do more damage than good. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. He said, make up your mind. He said, if you come and say, well, I can't believe you're doing that, you have already shut them out. They're not going to listen to a thing you say. Especially if it's disputable matters. This is what Paul is saying. This is what we ought to do. Be careful. Be careful that you don't judge people based upon external practices. Okay, now finally, get back to James. Chapter 4, verse 11. All the way back where it is. James says in verse 11, he says, when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Here's what's being said. If I judge you and the law has already said, don't do it, I'm setting myself up as a judge. I'm setting myself up as more important than God's word. I'm setting myself up as more important than what God has already said. I'm putting myself above the law. I am creator and I'm judge. And I'm the arbiter of what is the law. This is the truth. It is wrong to judge when it causes me to speak evil about another Christian. I am wrong to judge when it causes me to speak evil about another Christian. Listen, we are to hate the wrong. We are to hate the wrong, but we are to love people. We hate the sin, but we love people. It's the same way of Jesus. Jesus hates our sin, but he sure loves us. He loves us, and we ought to do the same thing for him. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says that we ought to speak positively. We ought to speak words that build up one another, not tear one another down. Christians should be known for encouragement, not criticism. 
We have enough criticism in the world. It should be that we should be ministers of encouragement in what we say. So we've looked at all these things, you know, why we shouldn't, when we shouldn't. So how do you break the habit? This really gets down to the crux of, uh, well, God, five more minutes. Give me five more minutes, all right? Well, you know, I'll take five, be done in 10, and be ready in 15, okay? So how to break the heart, how to break the habit of judging others. First, remember that I will be judged by the same standards that I use to judge other people. Listen to the way Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a good policy for us to adhere to in our own lives. If you just want, to, want something that will give you a catch, then many of you think, okay, you're judging that. Oh, man, God's going to get me the same way. Man, that'll hold you in check. I don't know about y'all, but I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble when I look at that. Oh, man, Lord, I can't believe that I just rendered my own judgment upon myself by the way I judged that individual. Second truth, remember that each of us is accountable to God. Look at Romans 14, verse 12. Look at what it says. I got it on the board for you. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Listen, you're not accountable to me in every area of your life. You're not. But guess what? I'm not accountable to you either. But one day I will be held accountable to God. And you will be held accountable to God. And we must remember that. God knows our motives. He knows everything about us. And listen, when God makes a judgment, listen, He will judge us honestly, He will judge us fairly, and He will judge us truthfully. Unlike the way we judge others. His judgment won't be based on hearsay. It won't be based on rumors. It won't be based on third, second-hand information. It would be based on fact and truth. And He will judge us correctly. Third, remember how much God has been merciful to me. James chapter 2, verse 13 says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. There is a principle greater than criticism. It's called mercy. Mercy. We should be distributors of mercy. The example of this is found in Matthew chapter 18. There was a man who had defrauded his master out of $50,000. And so he went to the master, oh Lord, I plead, I'm pleading with you, show mercy, show mercy. The master said, okay, I'm going to wipe it free. I'm going to wipe it clean. You don't owe me anything. Right after that, he went outside and he found a guy who owed him $5 and he grabbed him by the neck, was going to choke the life out of him and said, give me the $5 you owe me. And then the manager, the master heard about this and he went to the man and he said, wait a minute, I forgave you $50,000 and you won't forgive this person $5. If that's the way you're going to behave, okay, okay, I'm not going to forgive you anything. I'm not going to forgive you. We have to understand that. We are to be merciful as God has been merciful. Listen, I have to be patient with you because God is patient with me. And you have to be patient with me because God is patient with you. We have to do those, those things. None of us get what we deserve. None of us. 
It's because of mercy and it's all because of grace. Because of God's grace. But we like to take advantage of grace, don't we? You remember? You remember what it was like when you were first saved? You were so excited that you were saved. You wanted to tell everybody about it. You were so grateful. You couldn't serve God enough because you were so gracious. But as time goes on, grace begins to become second nature to us. It's kind of like the guy who, you know, at Christmas, he gets a $350 bonus from his boss. Didn't expect it. But he, man, this is great. He gets it. He's enjoying it. This is wonderful, man. I could pay off some Christmas. I could do this. He's excited. Next year runs around. He gets another $350 from his boss. Didn't deserve it. Didn't do anything in it. Man, he's excited about that. The third year comes around. He's already spent the $350 because he knows he's going to get the grace. And then guess what? The boss doesn't give it to him. And he gets angry. He gets mad. He gets frustrated. You see, we're the same way. We take God's grace for granted every year and we take advantage of it. That's the way it is in our own personal lives. We're conditioned to be ungrateful. But listen, the most forgiving people are those who are the most forgiven. The most forgiven people are those who are the most forgiven. So what do we do? We've got to deal with this critical spirit within us. We've got to deal with this time of being judgmental. Listen, if you want to find fault with an individual, you can find it. It is not difficult. If you want to, but if you start looking for the best in an individual, they may have nine things that just flat irritate the fire out of you, but find that one thing. Find that one thing and focus on that. And it will cause you to look at them differently. You've got to learn to overlook the bad and start looking at the good. Love the good parts and overlook the bad parts. Now, why did I spend so much time on two verses of Scripture? You know, I could have skipped over those, went right into the next one, we'll get that next week. It's because I think these are so important for us. Because we want to judge people. We want to cast judgment. Somebody asked me in the first service, Pastor, what do you mean by judgment? I said, obviously that's a loaded question. So I came up with this. I said, whenever you condemn a person to the point that you won't have a relationship with them. If your judgment of an individual keeps you from having a relationship with that person, then it's wrong. Stop and think about it. What would Jesus do? Jesus condemns every action you've ever done. But he still wants to have a relationship with you. And should not we who are called by his name, who are followers of Jesus Christ, say the same thing? He said, I don't like those actions. But man, I love you. And I want to have a relationship with you. I want to do life with you. And I want to work with you through this struggle that you're going through. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what God would have you to do. Maybe there's somebody you need to make amends to. You need to pray with them. You need to ask them to forgive you. Maybe you need to write a letter, make a phone call, make a personal visit. Man, I've been judging you and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Probably what you would discover are arms open wide. Weeping. Say, I'm so thankful that you said that. 
And God can make amends. God can restore any relationship. 